Good morning, church. Uh, You probably noticed there were no uh, sermon notes in your bulletin. Um, You probably won't need them today. Uh, To be honest with you, I had my schedules mixed up, and I didn't realize I was preaching until 8.30 last night. (laughs) So at 12.30, I went to bed, but didn't have the sermon notes finished for you. So I do apologize. Uh, But the Holy Spirit's faithful, and we are going to have a good time in the Lord this morning. Um, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we delight to sit at your feet and to hear your word to us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you not only to open our ears, but open our hearts. Father, that we may receive what you are saying to us this morning as individuals and as a congregation. And Father, I pray that the words that come out of my lips would only be your words. And that when this service is done, we would leave glorifying you, worshiping you in amazement and wonder at your love, your goodness, and your faithfulness to us, your people. For this, we give you thanks and praise, glory, that is due your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. And of course, they will be up on the overhead or whatever we call that. <clears throat> then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Gosh, being slaved all the time or returning to Egypt? Or fighting a war? I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be a slave. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war, when they see struggles, when they see trials and tribulations. Israel had lived in Israel for about 400 years. Now, that number is controversial amongst uh, theologians, 400, uh, 430, 420, 250. But for our purposes, the point we want to make is that Israel was in bondage for a long time, lived under Egypt even longer than that, because you remember they came when Joseph called his, his family there during the um, <clears throat> uh, famine. And they were not accustomed to war. They were not accustomed to battles and fighting. It was foreign to them. By this time, none of them remembered what war was like. And God, in his wisdom, took them by the way of the Red Sea. But that wasn't the only thing God did. God God, uh, enraged Pharaoh to say, What have I done? We're going to go after him and bring him back. And so here they are. Red Sea on one side, Pharaoh's army on the other side. And what did they think? 
And when Pharaoh draw, this is Ephesians 14, verses 10 through 12. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and rightly so. Egypt was the greatest army in the world at that time. And the children of Israel, of Israel cried out to the Lord. They knew what they needed to do. They needed to cry out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you, dealt, have, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Notice the human response, and notice what was in their heart. They did, quote, the right thing. They cried out to the Lord. But what was in their heart? Faith that the Lord was going to deliver them? Or fear that God didn't care enough about them to deliver them? They did the right thing with their mouths, but they didn't do the right thing with their hearts. Obstacles, challenges, threat of harm stands before them. And they say, you, Moses, brought us out here to die. But we all know God was faithful and worked a mighty miracle to overcome the obstacle, the challenge, the harm. And not only did he save, do this to save his chosen people, but he did this to encourage them. I mean, I just... just Look at this with me a minute. Here you are. The sea is on one side. The waves are pounding in on the rocks. And Egypt's coming up the backside. There's no place to go. And all of a sudden, God opens the sea. The ground is dry. And he says, walk through. Can you imagine being one of the first people to walk through? My eyes would be glued to that wall of water. When's it coming down? God's just going to let me out here in the middle and then whoosh, it's going to fall apart, right? Or, the worst, or, or worse, the last people to go through, how long can this wall of water stay up? We're the last ones trudging through and that wall has, has been there for a while, but how long is it going to stay there? That required some faith. In one sense. On the other sense, if you walk through and you drown, or you stay there and let Egypt kill you, what's the difference? Right? Dead's dead. So I guess they decided we better walk through and hope for the best. What more could God do to convince Israel that he loves them and he has her back? Not only did he allow them to walk through on dry ground, but when the army of Israel got out in the middle, the wall did collapse. They were all drowned. All of their enemies like that were gone. So Israel treks three days into the wilderness, and the only water they find is at Marah, but it's not fit to drink. 
And with the recent miracle of the parting of the Red Sea and the total destruction of Pharaoh's army, you would have thought, they would have said, all right, no water to drink. God, what, what miracle do we get to see now? But in Exodus 15, 23 through 25, we read, Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. They did not look to God. They complained to Moses. You know, I wonder how many times that happens here in the United States. We don't look to God. We complain about the president or the governor or whoever else is in charge, the county executive, our boss. Where our eyes should be on God. Uh, so then they journey into the wilderness of sin and they run out of food. Well, surely if God provided water, he would provide food, wouldn't you think? What did Israel think? Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 3. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. How often is it when we are faced with a challenge that we look back at where we were and we pick the very best thing about being back there and we say, oh, how wonderful that was. When there were so many other things about it that may not have been as wonderful. But here is the truth. What God has ahead is so much better than what was behind. Even if it was all wonderful, it's going to be more wonderful. God's plans for you are for a future and a hope, a living hope. Not destruction. So God causes it to rain bread from heaven in the mornings and quail in the evenings. And Israel's okay until they come to the land of the Amalekites, and now they face their first combat. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 9. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And we know the rest of the story, how the Israelites routed Amalek. Yeah, there was some up and downs as Moses' arms became more and more tired and the, his sons helped him raise those up. But they routed the enemy and it was God that allowed that. God that did that. Then after the giving of the law, God leads the people to Canaan, the promised land. And they send spies ahead who return with a very discouraging report. Numbers 13, 30 through 33. 
Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw there are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. I want to tell you, the problem wasn't that they were grasshoppers in the enemy's sight, as grasshoppers in the enemy's sight. The problem was they were as grasshoppers in their own sight. But why are you looking at yourselves, Israel? Do you think that you can accomplish this by yourself? No. It's the Lord. And this is what Caleb comes back and says to them. <clears throat> Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aram, Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Are you kind of picking up a theme here? <laughs> Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should be victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. The people blame Moses and Aaron for bringing them to this land that they are terrified to possess. Have they forgotten God's faithfulness at the Red Sea so soon? They decided to depose Moses and Aaron and choose a new leader to return them to Egypt. But what awaits them in Egypt? Do they really think that after all the firstborn of Egypt were slain, were died, that Egypt's going to welcome them back? Do they really think after the annihilation of Egypt's army by their God, that Egypt wants anything to do with them? There's nothing to go back to. But so often it is when we are faced with trials and tribulations and obstacles and challenges, we forget to open our spiritual eyes and examine what the facts really are. All we see is the fear in front of us. But God is greater. And if we open our eyes and don't allow the fear to paralyze us, we will see there's nothing behind to go to. As good or as bad as it is, there's nothing back there for us as Christians. We need to move forward with God. And He's the one who makes the way straight. He's the one who is our victory.
And Joshua attempts to encourage the people. But Joshua, I'm sorry, Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, and certainly the Lord must delight in them, because look at everything he's brought them through to bring them to this point. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. You're worried about fighting? God's going to give this to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. You ever look at those problems as your bread to strengthen you? Their protection has departed them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But Israel did not repent of their unbelief. Even though they blamed Moses and Aaron for their plight, let's look at what God's perspective of all this was. Numbers 14, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs that I have performed among them. And again in Numbers 14, verses 26 through 29. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? Notice, they were, by, this previous scripture says they complained against Moses and Aaron. God says they complained against God. I have heard the complaints uh, which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Remember they said it would be better if they had died in the wilderness. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. None of them shall receive the promise. Not in this life, anyhow. I could go on as Numbers continues to talk about Israel's sojourning through the wilderness and coming back and taking the promised land. But for time's sake, let's pause here and review what's happened. You know, Israel chose to view the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, the obstacles, the mountains they had to overcome as woe is me. That God knew that Israel needed these challenges in the wilderness to prepare them to take the land of milk and honey that he had promised them to. Remember in the very beginning, God didn't take them by the way of the Philistines because they weren't ready for battle. He took them through trial, 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 trial. And in each time, he was a faithful, good God who delivered them from the trials he led them to. Why? To build their faith 
because he knew that when they saw the giants in the land, they would shrink back. And God is amazed, which uh, it, it, nothing surprises God, but God says, you know, after all the miracles I've done, how long will they rebel against me? Notice, unbelief is rebellion against God. Israel forgot God's promise to take them into the promised land. I guess they also forgot that God couldn't lie. I guess they also forgot that God is love. I guess they also forgot that God is faithful. And I guess they forgot that God was, is good. How about you? And how about me? Are you facing mountains today? Are you facing challenges, obstacles, trials, tribulations? It was kind of interesting. You know, I'm uh, supposed to lose my job at the end of June. And I've had a peace and a excitement that God is going to bless me in all of this. But I noticed in talking to one of you this morning who asked me if I might have some time to assist with something, the words that came out of my mouth were, I will have a lot of time after the end of June. Now what kind of faith is that, Wayne? What is that all about? Well, you see, God is the one who's given me the, faith, uh, the, the peace and the excitement to see what he's going to do. I've shared before. Once we had, Trish and I, we, we had a, a real financial crisis. I'd lost my job. No, no sight, no job in sight. We had to pay our bills like everybody else. And no income. And through God's people, God delivered us from that. So then, a few years later, it, it seemed like we had another financial crisis. I didn't lose my job, it was just bills had gotten out of control because I was doing the checkbook instead of Tricia. <laughs> she does the checkbook today. And I thought, oh, this, this is going to be really bad. But you know what? I had an excitement because God had delivered me before I knew he was going to deliver me again. But he delivered me the next day. I got a bonus from work and then it all went away. And I was disappointed because I didn't get to see God working in the situation. He did, but he did it so fast there was no, no trial. <laughs> I think the point I want to make is that I don't believe that the confession, what I confess changes things necessarily unless that confession is with faith. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What came out of the abundance of my heart? I won't have a job after June 28th. And then I slap myself. Because what am I thinking? Can God not give me another job today? 
or can God do whatever it is? I don't know what God's got in, line, in store for me, but I know it's better than where I'm at now. So why would I worry? And why would I have this confession that I'm not going to have a job in June or the end of June? So I'm, I'm, I'm repenting. I'm going back and say, Lord, I know, I know what I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> but how about you? I know some of you are facing challenges and trials, tribulations, mountains. And why? So that you may know how much God loves you. And so that you may know his faithfulness. Because I've got good news and I've got not such good news. The good news is God is faithful. Amen. And he's going to move this mountain out of your path, out of your life. The not so good news, the reason he's doing it is because there's a bigger mountain ahead for you. Just as there is for me. You see, God uses trial, tribulation to build our conviction of how much he loves us and our faith in how much he has our back. He doesn't just have my back, he's got my front. He's the one who makes the path straight. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what you're facing. Well, it does, but to God, God knows that you need to embrace and by his help, overcome the challenges so that you will be prepared to take hold of his promise for your life. And not only as individuals, but as a church, we shall face challenges and obstacles and trials. And we may tend to grow dissatisfied with the amount of time we are journeying through the wilderness. But if we take heart in God's promises, his goodness to us in the past, I mean, God has given us uh, how much, I don't know how much we have left, but he gave us like 128 acres, right? 136, thank you. We walked into this. Some of us helped fight for it. But it's what we have. It's what God gave us. As a church, he gave us this land for something. I don't know what for. The other elders don't know what for yet. But you see, God only, his, his word is like a light, a lamp to our steps and a light to our path. We only see down there dimly and not very far. But the lamp on our shoes, we can see the next step. But it's God's timing. It's God's timing. It's not ours. But he is faithful he is absolutely faithful to tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. And it's simply up to us to walk forward in faith and take hold of what that is. Whatever you're facing today, please remember Joshua's encouragement. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear the future. Do not fear tomorrow. 
God is with you. He delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will, he, he will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. You've got to be pretty delighted with somebody to sing over them. I'm, you know, I mean, that's usually something you see at a wedding or something. But the New King James Version says the same verse this way. The Lord, your God, in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. Will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've often wondered why bad things happen to good people. What I know is I don't have God's perspective. But what I know is the way we walk through our trials and tribulations will either bring praise or disdain upon the name of the God we serve. Deuteronomy 28, it doesn't quite say it this way, but it's all in there if you read the whole chapter. God gives blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Unbelief is disobedience. Faith is obedience. In the Christian's world, the only two things that sins that we, that we, the only two things that really matter are faith and unbelief. Warren likes to say faith is the currency of the kingdom. I want to encourage you today God delights in you. He's on your side. He has your back. He has your front. He has you surrounded. Believe for the blessings. Every cloud, no matter how black, has a silver lining. God will reward faith with blessings. And a testimony, right? Testimonies come out of tests. A testimony, a weapon that you can use to declare the love, the goodness, the faithfulness of our God. I'm not going to take time right now, but after the, after the uh, uh, benediction, I will stay up here. And if any of you want prayer for whatever mountain or trial or tribulation or challenge or anything else you'd like prayer for, I will stay here after the benediction, uh, as long as people need ministry. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you give us examples that we may not make the same mistakes that your people have made in the past. And this morning, Lord, I know there are many hearts here that are, are heavy and burdened with the trials they are facing. But we declare you are a good, loving God who is faithful, that you delight in us and you have, you have us in your hand.
And we don't just declare that out of hope. We declare that out of knowledge and faith. Because you have been so good to us in the past. There may have been trials and tribulations back there, but you've brought us to this point today. And we are trusting you to take us on through every trial for the rest of our lives on this earth. Holy Spirit, encourage your people today. We give you praise, we give you thanks, we give you glory, we give you honor. For you are our God. Amen. When Wayne closed that prayer, he said, Holy Spirit, encourage. And that was the word I needed to hear because that's what the Lord wants to do. And there were two things that he brought to my mind. One had to do in, uh, in Deuteronomy. And the question was, when the Lord did something, build an altar of stones. And so the question is, what altars have you built? And to look at those altars when the Lord has done something. And then, and then the second thing was the word worship. We are a worshiping body. The Lord has blessed us in that way. We are a worshiping body. And the song came to me, I will remember. I will remember the works of our hands. And so no matter what lies ahead, I have to tell you as an elder that one foot has been planted in terms of the Lord giving signs and giving us this property and how he confirmed that and putting that foot down. But I also believe this other foot that is up in the air, and Eva had shared this, is yet to come down. And I know in my heart, the Lord, I, I said, Lord, that's exactly where we are. We want that foot to come down. We want it to come down where you want it to come down. And he will be faithful to do that. So the other word was worship. Worship. There is just something that happens when we turn our eyes on him. In Psalm 25, it says, Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. And there is something about when we turn our face, when we turn our gaze, when we set our hearts upon him, that something happens in the heavenlies, that something happens in our hearts. So I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to worship, worship. Even David, when he didn't say a word, when Saul requested his presence, it says he played skillfully. And we know what happened with Saul. It said the evil spirit left him. So I want to encourage you in your day-to-day, -day, in your quiet time, us corporately to worship. And I say today before God, before the enemy, we will remember. We will remember the works of your hands, Lord. We will remember. Speaking of um, um, stones, altars, remembrances, I don't know if you ever noticed, I put red tape on my pen. It's to remind me on a regular basis of how the Lord delivered me from a terrible thing. Perhaps you'd like to do something like that too. We 
we're talking about faith and stepping out. I look around here, I want to know how many people here are from Missouri originally. All right, look at that. Most of you picked up at one time, not knowing what the future was. You stepped out, you come to a place in Missouri you never knew, people you never knew except for a preacher went out one day and he says, he give a message. And what happened? You all survived. You went through trials. Every one of you that come here went through a trial. If my memory would serve me right, I could probably tell you different ones that went through trials. But you know, you're still here. God saw you through. You know, I've been blessed in my life. I have never looked for a job in my life. I don't know what it is to look for a job. They came to me. God saw that I had. I've, I've testified before how we got down to a can of food. Which I think we still have seven kids. I hadn't got paid yet. Neighbor knocked on the door, brought a big can of beans, and I think it was potato salad, something like that. God has never let me down. And I think most of you can say that too. Thank you.